Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, bringing you the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive startups and leaders. Subscribers get a new episode every Thursday at 6pm and I'm your host, James Somerville. Hey everyone, we've got a great episode coming up for you guys today. So you might remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about natural language processing. Well, this week we're going the other way around. So I'm talking to Matthew from a company called Seraproc, which does text-to-speech, otherwise known as speech synthesis, which is the sort of thing made famous by the likes of Stephen Hawking and his voice. And so in healthcare, you can obviously tell that text-to-speech has value in communication aids, but it's not just communication aids. There are value props for clinicians and, in fact, other healthcare entrepreneurs that go far beyond that. You know, for example, is this a way of evolving chatbots? Is this a new way of delivering CBT in quite a scalable way? Is that for everybody? So we talk about all those different things on the episode. We even talk about the dark side of text-to-speech. You know, cloning voices is obviously good for patients, but, you know, what if that technology fell into the wrong hand? So we also talk about the health economics as well of giving the voiceless a voice, you know, should that and other use cases be prescribable in the NHS. And that bit's kind of essential listening for any ENT clinicians or speech and language therapists that might be listening. And so Matthew's a really knowledgeable guy, he's a great speaker and good bloke with a good business. So hope you guys enjoy the episode. And just as a little spoiler alert, there is even an appearance on this week's episode from Her Majesty the Queen. So do listen out for that. Great. So Matthew, welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning? Fine. Yeah, no, it's great to be on. Awesome. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Matthew? So I'm in Edinburgh at the moment on a lovely autumn cold brisk day. Uh, <laughs> very nice. Edinburgh's a beautiful city. I haven't been in a while, but I remember it being very, very pretty. It's extremely pretty. Uh, the only problem is the weather. My wife is Spanish and she's, she's taken about a decade to get used to the fact. That <laughs> yeah, that's quite the hit from Spain to Scotland. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. We already digress. So Matthew, yeah, as I say, welcome. Looking forward to having you on. We've obviously had a quick chat beforehand. So I know quite a lot actually about your awesome background. and I've done some uh, research and stuff. So looking forward to kicking off and getting into it. So for the benefit of our listeners, Matthew, why don't you tell us your story? So uh, my name is Dr. Matthew Aylett. Um, I work in speech technology uh, at the moment, which is an area most medical professionals are familiar with, with dictation, um, in terms of pathologists being able to describe an enlarged spleen without getting blood all over a keyboard. But how I got there was through a number of strange routes, really. I, I originally studied artificial intelligence at uh, Sussex University back in the... Um, um, early 90s. And I found it rather a, a field which I wasn't really that interested in. It seemed very abstract. It seemed about planning and, and modeling and, and all sorts of things like this. I actually came back into university after a break of a few years and um, happened to chance on a master's course in speech technology. And I didn't really know much about it when I got involved with it. But when I did get involved with it, I really loved it. And the reason I love Speech technology is because speech is very, very concrete. We, we, we all speak uh, normally, and we don't learn to speak in the same way we learn to read and write. It's very much part of what we are as human beings. It's part of our souls in some respects, the extent to which it, it betrays our emotions, our backgrounds, our motivations, and everything else together with that. And of course, speech technology is integrally related to social interaction. And if you think about it, you know, apart from food and water, the next thing that human beings need is social interaction. So we're dealing with technology, which is very, very close to what it is to be a human being. And I came into this through the masters. I then did a PhD in phonetics, um, which was uh, more of the, in, the, in the arts and linguistics side. And then after that, I joined a startup, a uh, speech synthesis startup. And that startup was really focused on doing speech technology for the call, for call centers, really. So very dry, very neutral, um, and not very engaging. And, and most people don't like call centers. And to be honest, speech synthesis didn't really make them like them anymore. Um, <laughs> when that company uh, changed hands, I decided to set up my own company. And I wanted to focus 
on things like character, on, on regional accents, on being able to generate voices which, which could be engaging and uh, could, be, uh, could connect with people. So this is a long way f at all, really, from the, the health sector. And, and we've ended up in the health sector through, through realization this technology has a, a massive potential to be used in this area. That's amazing. So I didn't realize that you'd, um, yeah, you did, I, I knew you'd done the master's and, and, and the PhD. I didn't realize you'd been part of a, a startup at a call center. So what, what was it about your quite overqualified background, it sounds, was, I guess, useful to them? And what were you doing in that role at the startup? Well, it wasn't exactly in a call center. It was a speech synthesis company mm. that mostly sold to call centers. Ah, it sold to call centers. Okay. Mostly call centers. And we needed to develop and then that, this was back in uh, around 2000 or so uh, that in, in those days, speech synthesis sounded quite unnatural. And um, it was a new technology called unit selection, uh, which suddenly improved the quality. But the problem that company had actually was that, that uh, call centers really wanted the technology to save money. And, and if you run a business where your, all your customers want to save money, it's quite hard to make much money because they're, <laughs> they're always trying to save money, aren't they? Welcome to the <laughs> NHS. <laughs> so, uh, and also the other problem was that, that, that I've always focused completely in speech synthesis. So this is, and this is kind of important and, and it took my dad 20 years to get used to this, but I don't work in speech recognition. Speech recognition is when you speak and it turns into text and speech synthesis is when you put text and it turns into speech. So it's yeah. out. And in that company, the business model was, uh, uh, the problem was that other companies would give away their speech synthesis uh, because they would make money on their speech recognition. Mm. So they also had a problem in terms of a business model where they were trying to sell stuff that other people were giving away, which can also be a bit of a problem when it comes down to it. I uh, see. So your current company then, let's talk about that. So what is it that you do? Describe the product to me. So... It's it's fairly simple concept. You type, you send text, sometimes marked up text, which is to give, for example, information about how you want the text to be spoken. You send that to our piece of software, and out comes audio, and it sounds like a person speaking. Um, now, so the, the the you know that and, and that's 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 basically it as the product. Of course, that has to be wrapped into lots and lots of different bits and pieces. So typically it's used as part of other systems. So we're very much a component supplier. We produce this speech synthesis, which then is used, for example, it's used to announce, um, um, used for announcements in Gatwick Airport. It's used for social robots. Uh, the Hanson robot, Sophia, that was in the news quite a lot recently, um, we make the voice for that robot, for example. So they take our, our technology and they build it into those systems. Um, and of course, what makes it complicated and fun is that, it, you know, one voice isn't enough. You can't just do one voice. Um, you need to do multiple languages to start with. And then you often want to have different genders. And then you want to maybe look at regional accents. And then you want to think about how do you speak? We, we, we speak with emotion, with, with emphasis. There's, there's a whole set of expressive speech which could be useful in some cases and not. I mean, for example, if you phone up a bank for your bank balance, you don't really want them to give you the, the number in a sad voice if you've not got much money. <laughs> Ideally, you just want that, you know, you don't want to engage in that way with a bank, right? But in other, in other applications, you do. And, um, and there's lots of applications in the health sector where it matters a lot that the character of the voice is expressed. Um, and then finally, we also do voice cloning or voice copying. So most, nearly all synthesis you hear sounds like the person that was used as a source audio to build that synthesizer. It sort of mimics and copies that source speaker. And how you mimic voices and how easy it is to clone a voice is also really important. So for example, we've done, we've cloned all the presidents of the United States uh, since George Bush. And in fact, before that, because we've also cloned the voice of John F. Kennedy, funnily enough. Um, and we can copy those voices and we can get them to say anything we like. Um, the problem with Donald Trump is you wouldn't necessarily notice if, if you got it <laughs> because he says anything he likes anyway. But um, so, so with the basic simple concept, if you take text, you turn it into speech, you end up with quite a complex set of products and, uh, and services that go with that. 
there's so much I want to ask you about here. The first of which is how does it work? So what is the technology behind this customer facing description that you've said there? So me as the, as the customer or the user, I'm going to write some text that's going to turn it into speech. There's going to be speech that comes out the speaker. So what is the technology actually behind that? So the way that we've always done speech synthesis is by starting from a, a, a natural human voice. And this goes right the way back. I mean, one of the most famous uses of speech synthesis is, of course, Stephen Hawking, who used mm. it as a patient aid. He actually sounded like Dennis Klatt. Dennis Klatt was one of the pioneers in speech synthesis at MIT. And his uh, synthesizer, he, he hand-created his synthesizer by looking at the way speech worked in terms of um, its acoustics. You can regard speech as two tubes stuck together with a, with a, with a source at the bottom, which makes a buzzing sound or, or, a, or a, a, just a noise sound. And that's how that synthesizer worked. But he, he created all the sounds, like all the different vowels, using his own speech. So it sounds like Dennis Clad. And this has continued as we've gone forward. So the, the, the unit selection technology, and this is a technology that you mostly hear in commercial systems at the moment, that system is built by recording a lot of audio from a voice talent. And this could be like 30 hours of recording that produces 300,000 phones, different sounds. And all those little sounds are cut up into little pieces for every sentence they've said. Mm. And then in order to produce a new sentence, you rearrange it into, that, into those new words or phrases. And um, you do this all completely automatically. And when you listen to these systems, it's typically cutting and splicing sounds together five times a second really, really quickly. You don't hear most of those, those, those joins. So unlike, unlike the old systems where it would say, hello to the world. Sure. So it's, it's basically the same thing, but a lot cleverer. Uh, so it tries to match all the, the prosody and everything else to get this smooth output. I and see. So the software itself is actually, is it reading the inflections and the differences in tone in the text and then converting that into differences in tone in the speech as well? Absolutely. So one of the key parts of synthesis technology is to analyze the speech, how the speech is spoken to start with. So where is the emphasis? Yeah. Um, where are the breaks? Uh, how is pausing? Um, is, is, did they say Edinburgh or did they say Edinburgh? Right. Mm. There's all these differences. And, and this is also vital for, for the new technology. What has happened over the last two years, though, is that this technology is suddenly going to change. Uh, it's already in the process of going through that change. Uh, machine learning and uh, deep neural nets have now entered the world of, of uh, speech synthesis. And um, two years ago, uh, DeepMind did a, a, a prototype, a proof, proof of concept, which changed the way everyone sees speech synthesis. Now you're getting systems which are based much more on modeling. So this is underlyingly, it's using a machine learning to model speech. So rather than cutting it up, putting it back together, it analyzes the relationships of everything in the speech compared to the waveform and then learns how to recreate it from scratch. And that's a fantastic opportunity as well, because by moving from, from the constraints of actually, so for example, with, with, with unit selection, if you wanted a voice to sound angry, if you hadn't recorded angry, it wasn't going to sound angry. You couldn't really get it to produce a vocal style that you hadn't really recorded. Whereas with, with machine learning, you can do cool things like get my voice and then use someone else's voice to work out how I might sound angry. And oh, you interesting. Put okay. Together. I mean, my mind's racing now as to all the benefits in healthcare that this could obviously have. There's obviously all the physical issues that sprout from the larynx and, and all sorts that obviously, you know, the ability to, to turn text into speech would be incredibly important. But I think one bit that I'd like to highlight here is how, I don't know what the right superlative here, but just how great it is for somebody that isn't able to speak that can not only have the text turned into monotonous speech they can actually sound happy or sound sad and they can have that read as well because i mean you'll know this more than me from all of your academia that, that speech as a communication tool is obviously incredibly important as is facial um movements and things like that you know we know that people with parkinson's 
can become depressed because they can't show happiness. It's not just the fact that the condition might be making them depressed and, and things yeah. like that. So it must be in, in, incredibly rewarding to see your technology used in those patients, able to communicate their emotions and, and obviously therefore having all of those knock-on benefits as a result. Yeah, absolutely. A big area in healthcare is, is for communication aids. And recently we released um, um, Scottish child voices. So this is, uh, these recorded 11-year-old uh, voice talent um, were recorded to produce a child voice with a Scottish accent. This was supported by the Scottish government, which is very forward thinking of them because otherwise for kids with communication difficulties, they're using an adult voice to communicate. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> so, so just being able to produce, and of course there's, there's no massive barrier to producing child voices. It's, it's hard to record, but also uh, for Scottish kids, they want to sound Scottish. They are Scottish. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They, Scottish. they don't particularly want to sound like uh, uh, Hugh Laurie or or or, uh, <laughs> or or Kim Bassinger, not Kim Bassinger. Sorry, uh, um, trying to think of an appropriate British actress. <laughs> but um, and um, so that's really important. And of course, be able to put emotion in there. Even a certain amount of emotion is really important. We've been working with um, a very interesting guy called Peter Scott Morgan, who's he, he he's got MND, motor neuron disease. Yeah, I think he was having his larynx removed about now. Right? He's having the operation to remove it all because otherwise, you know, he, he won't be able to breathe properly when, it, when his muscles start to shut down. And um, we replaced his voice and he wanted to be able to speak intimately. He wanted to be able to speak as if he was in a presentation. He wanted to be able to record little tokens like hello and things like this. So he could <laughs> of course, use yeah. all this stuff. And he's been pushing everyone to put all this technology together because he says, well, why can't I have this technology? You know, why can't I be Peter 2.0 and have an avatar which has got my face which can smile for me because I can't smile anymore. Mm. So the potential for this technology is enormous. But the, 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 the current um, usage of it is, is still not as, as known as it should be. A lot of people are getting voices off the shelf without realizing that they can do things like copy their own voice before it becomes too, um, too problematic. Mm -hmm. um, we, we do a voice cloning service so that people can record themselves for three hours and produce a synthetic voice, which sounds like them. That quality is still not as good as our full commercial systems, but it will get better and better and better. And, um, and, it, and for many people, just being able to retain their own identity is more important potentially than, than, than exactly how brilliant the synthesis sounds. So the, it, it suddenly becomes something which is not just about Siri, like the, the use of synthesis in Siri or Alexa, it becomes something really concrete. It, for me to, to as, especially as an engineer working in software, where very often in a way you can regard it as toys for boys, you know, so we're, we're, we're putting stuff together, oh great, so what, you know? But actually in this case, it has a real impact on people's lives and that, that's a great feeling. Mm. Yeah, that's incredible. One thing that you said that was quite interesting there as well was that you said one of the applications is as a communication tool. What are the other applications of it then, if we're thinking about healthcare? So this is very interesting. I just actually, before I, 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 I came on, I had a quick Google on, on Google Scholar and I put in speech synthesis as a term and mental health, for example. Ah. And if you do that, a load of things start coming up. And this, this isn't surprising when you think about it, because as I say, social interaction is key to our sense of being and our sense of self and our, our mental health. So there's been a lot of work um, looking at things like, uh, say, screening for neurological disorders. So the idea is that if you can pick these problems up really, really fast before people are diagnosed and before they're ill, then potentially, you know, the, um, the, the prognosis could be much, much, much improved. Uh, you have things like um, things which are, are more research and, and, and potentially, I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners can imagine, gosh, that, that, might, that might cause lots of issues in terms of how would you, you know, make sure this was safe and ethical and so on. But things, for example, like um, talking to people about, say, on oncology, about prostate cancer. There was a, a system which was talking to, to people about prostate cancer, what it meant. And to a certain extent, by offering people this sort of, artificial means of communication it meant that they could ask questions that they felt less less exposed less less sort of worried interesting or, oh, yeah because he's too important things like this 
the, the um, there's uh, also a whole uh, set of things, for example, in um, um, delivering things like CBT, for example, yeah. uh, virtual agents. There's a lot of work looking at of having virtual agents. So that's where you have speech synthesis, speech recognition, and avatar, the whole lot as a sort of like, like a person. And people are exploring how for the elderly that, that may help them maintain social engagement, might help um, them cognitively and so on. So there's a vast amount of research going on. What's really lacking, um, in fact, is the extent people are, are, are carrying out serious clinical trials in any of this stuff. And, and this is something which certainly I discovered when I started working. At one point, I was involved with a project which was looking at, at automating the, um, uh, using speech technology, automating answers to a depression questionnaire that someone could take every week to see how they're doing. And of course, from the clinician's point of view, they didn't want it to change at all, yeah? They, mm. You know, we could have different voices and we could change the way the voices don't change it at all. It has to be exactly the same, right? <laughs> Because... Because, you know, we, 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 we know this questionnaire works as it is. If we start altering, you know, the way it's, it's said in given different answers, we've no idea what's going to happen, right? And you're talking about a vulnerable group of people, so it really matters what you do. So the, the big area really, in a way, is for, for uh, health professionals, um, and health companies potentially to, to engage with this technology and start thinking, can we use this? Because, you know, it's a bit different from, you know, if you, if you, you know, we do, you know, social robots and they're a bit of fun, but healthcare is a really serious business and, and the ethical issues involved in replacing the, the social interaction, say with a human being with an artificial system is, 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 is really critical. And of course it doesn't mean it necessarily is replacement. It could just be augmented. So, um, for example, there's a, there was work done in um, looking to do training, for example, for health professionals to have conversations with people who are clinically depressed. How do you talk to someone who's clinically depressed? And the way they did it was they used virtual reality and they had a, a, a whole imaginary uh, artificial character that was clinically depressed. And, and then they, they could go through the process. So, so there is a, a lot of... Uh, opportunities like that there was a, a project i saw not long, long ago which was about training senior nurses to tell doctors that they have to come back and check the patient because they think something's been sewn up inside them right and interesting and the, the reason they needed this is because of course surgeons are, are, are um you know have a lot of authority they're very senior they haven't got any time that's very uh, diplomatically uh, put <laughs> coming uh, from an anesthetist i could use a few different words but yeah, well, fair enough <laughs> they've counted all the equipment they, they know and they're going something is missing we've got to have this person x-rayed so they have to have this difficult conversation with someone who really is their boss whereas they're responsible to make sure this they have this conversation so to go through that in a virtual environment was something that they found very useful. I did suggest, couldn't you get the surgeons to, to do this, to, to tell them, you know, to, to learn how to do it. But they pointed out that surgeons wouldn't have any time to do anything like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started on that. All right. So I'm in a, a bit of a challenge to our listeners here then, because you, you've named so many potential applications there. And as you say, perhaps not the sort of trials and, and, and projects going on to, to potentially evaluate this stuff. But it seems like it might take a little while to find product market fit for something like this in a few different cases, but there are seemingly so many more potential avenues for, um, for, for text to speech to, to go definitely. And I think one, th my, my mind then raced when you were talking about CBT and different therapies and using it in, in that context, because it's kind of like where we were with chatbots in a way. And this just seems in that example, kind of just uh, an extension of what the chatbot is doing because we use chatbots to deliver CBT. There are plenty of very successful health tech startups doing that at the moment. So it could well be that this becomes an, another way of receiving that information for people rather than on a screen in text that it becomes spoken to them in, in a very, very scalable way. And I'm sure we'll come on to that in a little bit about the business benefits. But yeah, it becomes incredibly scalable as a, as a spoken therapy then when it's actually spoken to you rather than just delivered on a chat. But I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, you see, this is one of the really interesting questions because 
uh, you know, despite the fact, I mean, I love speech synthesis and, and, um, and, and uh, you know, really passionate about its use, but sometimes it's not the right answer. Yeah. So, you know, it would be a very brave person to say, oh, well, we've got a chatbot that's, that we've shown that this chatbot can deliver CBT and that, that, you know, people are getting some benefit from this. It's going to be better if we put a, put a voice behind it. I don't know that. It might not be. You for some just, people it might, for others it might not, you know? It might be that it would make people feel more engaged, feel more, more connected. It might be that, that one of the good things about the, the chatbot system is they, that they can feel slightly separated from it. Yeah. They don't feel so sort of involved. The, there's a question of whether that people want to sit in front of a computer screen and do something. Um, you, with a, with a, an automatic system like that, they could just use their phone to phone it up, um, for example. So... There's lots of, of, of open questions there. And, and I, I would certainly say that any company that's using a chatbot to, do, to deliver CBT should definitely have a look at, at speech technology and see if that might offer something new or, or, or add something to the, the technology. It's very powerful stuff. Um, as soon as you give a voice to anything, it becomes personified. And that can work in two ways because there was um, recently, um, a couple of years ago, a year ago, so Google um, had this speech synthesis system that rang up to make hairdresser appointments. Oh, I saw them when they did that presentation, yeah. And, yeah. and it was so convincing that no one could tell it was a human being. And people were really worried about that. They found that really creepy because it's like, well, in some respects, we, we also want to have some sense of, of distance between is this technology or is this a person? Now, of course, there's no reason why voices can't make that really clear. So, for example, speech synthesis uh, has tended to strive for naturalness, but there's nothing to stop you having a voice which intentionally shows that it's a, that it's a, a machine that you're talking to, for example. Yeah. So within all these areas, the technology potentially could have a massive benefit. Some areas it's really clear, like in, in, in communication aids, where there's a really clear benefit. There's been a lot of research using virtual agents, um, and some of the, that work has... has, has, has got some really positive looking results but very little of it has been rolled out in a in a in a big scale another big area of course which is which is interesting from innovation is wellness because obviously the you know there's an awful lot i mean if you there's a it's a jungle of wellness applications out there varying from from complete quackery to things based on on quite solid sort of science and, um, and again, there's areas where within wellness, you can imagine using this technology in a way to explore uh, how effective it is with people who are not in a vulnerable group, if you see what I mean, or not yeah, absolutely. in a vulnerable group as well. So moving on slightly, I just want to turn this over almost to the dark side then. I imagine if you've got the ability to clone voices, then that in the, in the hands of some nasty people could do some nasty things you know if i if i ring up russia with the sound of obama's voice or trump's voice and you know play something down the phone it could be pretty catastrophic so what's stopping people doing that so that's that's a really interesting question and um really important one Um, i guess worse in healthcare as well i mean you know you could the wrong thing played in the wrong person's voice or you know something along those lines it could be it, it's something that needs to be protected against and avoided, right? Yeah, in a number of ways. So, so there's already been some claims of people using synthesis to fool people into releasing information, for example. I think I saw something in the news about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's always hard to tell because, but of course, you know, criminals got, you know, a lot of resources, in fact. <laughs> things, um, often more than other people have. So, so it's, it's a real issue. One of the barriers at the moment, with this is that it's very hard for synthesis systems to, to come to converse fluently because of the speed of, we, we, we speak about 300 words per minute. Yeah. Very, very hard for someone to type that fast. Yeah. And typically if they are typing to us, we, we start to consider our response before the person has finished speaking. So, so there's an element of turn taking, which is very, very fast. So it, it, it's still the case that if an artificial system rang you up, unless you wanted to believe it was real, you could find out pretty quickly it was. Sure. But in terms of how good it sounds, it sounds pretty good. I've got, I've got a little example here I can play, actually, if you like. Um, go for it. Which is, uh, go. A guy goes to see a doctor. He comes in, sits down, and he says, Doctor, 
I have a lettuce stuck up my bottom. And the doctor says, okay, that's unusual. Let's have a look. He closes the curtains to examine him and asks him to bend over. He has a feeling around. But he says, oh dear, I'm sorry to say, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> so, so that's, that's the queen. Um, what a wonderfully appropriate soundbite that is. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and to a certain extent, so what that actually is, is my voice driving the queen's voice. So I told the joke. And the Queen is using my timing to tell that joke, which is one reason why it sounds... Ah, I see. ...funny, but it's one reason why it sounds quite convincing. But, but to a certain extent, I'm, you know, that clip is really just an example of what you can do because I, could, I, I would never be able to sell that voice or even want to sell that voice. We don't even really have the right to because the audio is not really supposed to be used for that process either. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so to a certain extent, but, it, but, but, the, but it's an example of how convincing speech senses can be when you do when you, when you try and fake voices and and that is a real issue with with everything as te technology is always a long way ahead of of the issues i think in terms of of people's experience with law enforcement with the internet has always been lagging behind sure. with things like um legal you know what's legal and what's not legal is, is lagged behind very often audio that has been recorded doesn't belong to the person. The audio that you're recording now for your podcast won't belong to me. I assume it's going to be copyright to you. Mm. So theoretically, you could then use the audio you've recorded from me to build a synthesis voice of me. But somehow you don't think that probably is legal. But what is the law that stops you doing that? And the answer is it's really complicated. Um, uh, my, my chief engineer's wife is a, an IP barrister and she said, that's a really interesting question. And when lawyers say something is an interesting question, it means it's going to cost you a lot of money to find out the answer. Um, so it, it is a real threat. And of course, this has become very uh, apparent lately with things like fake news and stuff like that. Yeah. But to a certain extent, we've gone, I think I, I would take a step back and say, to be honest, we were always in this situation. If you go back 200 years, people wrote stuff and you had to decide whether you believed it or not. Yeah. And in a way, we had a brief period where if it was spoken or videoed, we kind of felt it was more real. And then video editing came in and then Photoshop and everything else. And in a way, it's never been like that really for the last 10 years. It's, it, anything be portrayed in any way you want. So it's just more of that. So in the end, you need to work out who you can trust and why you're trusting them. And if someone calls you up and asks you to do something strange, then you should be questioning that whoever they however important they sound, I think. Yeah, fair enough. So let's talk the business side then. So I'm thinking about in healthcare specifically about the difference between the user and the customer. So I imagine there is a B2C element to this. I, I imagine people can purchase the, their cloned voice or you know all of those different things. But are you selling B2B in healthcare at all? Is this something that's purchased by either NHS organizations or private hospitals or, or groups like that? Is, is there any kind of B2B element from that perspective? Um, we have done some B2B, B2B stuff. So for example, NHS Scotland has been using our voices on some of their, um, their, their telephone systems, for example. Okay. Um, in terms of the, the list, I'm not that familiar with. We, I'm more aware of the B2C stuff. And this has mostly been, for example, people downloading our voices. You can download them, run them on your Mac and things like this. One of the big barriers with the healthcare industry is, is that the time span in healthcare is often quite a long one. Yeah. Um, and if you add to that, the real challenge and an important challenge of making sure that everything's extremely ethically watertight, Yeah. you know, that you really are not going to, you know, do no harm is, is kind of a, you know, really mean something in that sector. Uh, the, the industry has been slow to take up some of this technology for good reason, I think. Um, I think that's changing and we, we're having more, we're, we're talking in early stages with customers now about how voice might be used in different technologies, different uses. Of course, in the app side, for example, the wellness side, people are using synthesis for things like that. But again, that's kind of the jungle out there really in terms of, of, of it's, it's less B2B than B2, the group of engineers in Korea that are releasing an app type. Thing. Sure. Sure, I see. So it's more that you're enabling other health tech 
entrepreneurs in a way because if they can use your technology to be integrated into whatever systems they're building like for example the cbt chatbots of of the world you know and and that kind of thing it seems like you're more of an enabler to to other entrepreneurs that even might be listening that could think oh yeah we could use um voice synthesis in in a way that could be quite cool that's absolutely true and partly that's because we're we're, we've intentionally kept our company very small and focused on speech synthesis and and the health uh, market is a very specific market you really need to understand and have the right connections and um, and and uh, systems in place to deal with it in some sense and we don't really to be honest mm. so for us you know we, we you know even doing health tenders we've tried but we, we it's not our forte we've done stuff so for example in um, in Sweden um, the government organization which supplies voices um, to um, to people with communication aids, uh, we we want to tender with them to supply Swedish speech synthesis. So we've engaged at that sort of level. But you're absolutely right. In a sense, we 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 see a lot of this as something that that is really good for us to get involved in because new uses of the technology is what really distinguishes us from people like Google and Amazon, and and the big tech companies really for them they want a homogeneous consumer view of this technology whereas what we specialize in is character and making specific bespoke systems which are appropriate for different uses cool so let's say then that i am a health tech entrepreneur with a little startup i've got a chat bot that i want to turn into something that people can just stick headphones in and listen to and perhaps speak to in in a room or whatever what how are you going to engage with somebody that wants to come to enable that function in their in their software what's the kind of walk me through the situation so i'm I'm more thinking for people listening that might want to use this you know and and speak to you guys what what's going to happen so the first thing that that decision they have to make is whether they're going to use speech recognition or whether they're going to allow the user to still type in text and you could do either if you're using speech recognition then you need to get speech recognition system lined up which has sufficient accuracy to work in your system for us it's a very simple process you get in touch with us we have a we offer um uh, both um um uh, trial licenses so we can give a trial license people can download the voice they can integrate it using uh, um, either uh, using a rest api in fact we have a cloud service so it's as simple as using a rest api oh nice to take the text and to just put it out as text so it's incredibly easy for them to give it a go and in fact our rest api in the cloud service you can t- you get ten thousand characters free so they can even just go off and try it out um, and then see if it's if it's got something useful for them we like to talk to customers about what their requirements are so we don't have a one-size-fits-all business uh, view of customers. We deal with customers which are small as, as one-man band with, a, with an iOS app, right up to people like Microsoft and uh, Sony and Intel. So we really, and, and we understand that this technology is, it's, it's how it's used can vary a lot between different applications and technologies. So our, we really like to keep that business model as flexible as we can. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and you're right, you know, in healthcare, the customers can be quite difficult. It's difficult to understand. It's difficult to understand what people want. And yeah, you know, if you're laser focused on exactly what you do, you're far more likely to do it well than start getting into figuring out health economics cases and where people might save money and getting into, you know, all of that side of things. It, it would definitely drag you drag you down and, and, and divert you from your focus. What about, what about the B2C element then? So let's say I'm a patient in the uk i'm about to have an nhs operation which means that i'm going to lose the ability to speak perhaps it is on the nhs in in some places in the country i don't know but for places that it's clearly not how would those people go about coming to you for perhaps getting their voice cloned what what's the situation there so uh, it's it's not on the nhs anywhere that i'm aware of at the moment so this is something which Mm. i want to do separately uh, some organizations like MNDA, for example, have information which people can help, which can help people make choices. For us, we have um, a voice cloning system. So what they will do is they get in touch. We send them a microphone and then they can record in, uh, in their own home, preferably not in the bathroom or somewhere very resonant. <laughs> um, they can record their voice reading a script which helps give coverage of all the different sounds. Uh, we check that. 
to make sure that their mic's on and that everything's fine. Um, and then that automatically builds a voice, which they can download and they can run on their Windows box or on their, on their OS X box, or they can integrate that with a whole load of AAC um, that's augmented alternative communication systems. So for example, if, if they're going to not, so it's quite often if they're losing the voice, they may have issues with typing as well, right? I mean, it's quite sure. So there's a whole set of technologies in place to help them potentially use this voice. And, and that's all up and running. What, what's really happening with us with that service is when we re, when, as we release new systems, we can rebuild those voices and they sound better and better and better. So we've gradually improved the quality of those voices over the last five years and, and that will continue to do so. One issue is if, for example, with MND, often people find they've got MND because they, they, their voices start to show signs of degradation. Of course. And that, then it's a real problem because they need to voice bank really, really quickly, potentially. Sometimes it's gone so far that it's going to be very hard for them to voice bank. And then that's problematic because in a way their voices need to be recorded and then potentially corrected, which is, is something which is still part of the research area really of can we fix the voice in a way right i see um, but often in that case what they can often do is for example they can get their brother or relationship you know a sister or someone who's a relation who's got a similar sort of accent and voice to bank it and then potentially they that can be changed to become more individual for them but again that's something which is really interesting for us to do but is is a really more of a research innovation system. yeah sure but in terms of b2c yeah people can do that now they can they can get in touch with us anyone can you can if you want you can do a copy of your own voice just get in touch and uh we can send you a microphone and you can you can copy yourself amazing i was thinking all of the vanity based things that i could do with a copy of my own <laughs> voice that i could play anywhere and everywhere that i'd like <laughs> but I, I i'm interested in the in the nhs side you know because you know I, when i think about this i just I'm, I'm thinking about the health economics of it you know if you're saying to me it's not on the nhs anywhere but there are clearly benefits to it in the same way there are benefits to parkinson's patients that are able to communicate their emotions again yeah. and there are not you know not only benefits to the patient and a really obvious increase in quality of care but also then a subsequent decrease in mental health issues, I assume, and that, that is an assumption, an increase in average mood, you know, which then might lead to an increase in exercise or eating or sleeping, you know, all, the, all these different things yeah. that clearly to me, when I think about this and they are assumptions, would show health economic benefits down the line. So I'm sure there is somebody out there thinking the same thing as this that might get in touch with you to just think, can we build out a model here where we, or a research study where we look at these patients and we have a look at how much they're deteriorating. If they don't, you know, if they don't have this service, you know, what, what were the mental health effects? What was the cost of the health service? What was the cost to them personally in terms of their health and everything yeah. else versus the people with the intervention, i.e., you know, with a voice that, that is synthesized and, what does that look like and, and can we put some financial modeling around it to make a case for this? Because it seems to me that it's an absolute barn door obvious point that people benefit from it personally. That's extremely clear. But if we're going to roll this out more widely and get this more widely adopted, unfortunately there does have to be that financial element to it as well. And if I guess if we can prove that, then people stand to benefit in quite a lot of the country, I imagine, if we could get this around. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. In a way, it's the same problem that the NHS has often had dealing with wellness in general. Yeah. You know, it, it often it's seen as like, well, that's, that's not our remit. We go, well, obviously, if, you, if people are well, they don't need to, to be on there, and you've got more resources. So this is obviously, that's a good yeah. thing. It's a hard process to go around. I absolutely agree that, 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 you know, and it's right that the NHS has to consider what the financial implications of things like this are. Because, you know, if, if someone's, if you're saying, well, you know, let's give everyone clone voices and you're saying, but then we don't have enough money to give people cancer treatment, that's going to be an issue, right? Um, so, but on the other hand, if by giving them the voices, you're saving money because they're weller, then, you know, then obviously it starts to pay for itself. And, and, um, and, and, and that's very important. I think for a start, it'd be very good for people just to be aware of what's available because it, it's not that obvious to people. And of course, when you're diagnosed with an illness like MND or, 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 or if, you've got, if you've got cerebral palsy, you know, you've got a lot of stuff to deal with. 
other than necessarily saying, oh, you know, I'd like to uh, try and bank my voice or something like that. You know, there's, there's, mm. there's a whole host of other issues. So if, if health professionals are more aware of what's available, and then I agree, I think, I think it'd be great for people to try, for someone to trial it, in mm. to say how, how, you know, what is the impact? There are 330,000 people in the UK alone who, 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 who need communication aids. And that's quite a lot of people. Um, and then if you follow that on with, uh, I mean, in a way there's been more interest in some respects of doing things. Can we replace face-to-face communication with, with human beings to save money in some sense, uh, but get better, mm. better outcomes as well. Um, but in terms of communication, I think it is a, a, obviously something which benefits people. So it'd be really nice for people to look at it in more detail. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I've just got my clinical hat on, just thinking of the the patient benefit, you know. And I'm trying to yeah. I'm, trying, I'm trying to crowbar something in. Um, <laughs> I mean, do, do you have much to do with speech and language therapists or ENT surgeons, for example? Do you, do you have much to do with those groups? Yeah. So, um, so there's a I, I collaborated with a, a speech therapist over. She's based in New Zealand, and and a lot of speech therapists are because it, there's this very much, I mean, I, I guess you probably understand there's a big difference between practitioners really and researchers in, 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 in this area. Yeah. Um, speech therapists are so focused on getting there, seeing the patient, getting them better that they, they, they don't engage enormously in things like doing innovative or research stuff, but some of them do. And this, so this speech therapist, what a classic example of someone who, who's really been keen to, to look at speech technology. And she has been saying to me that people, using communication aids are crying out for emotional synthesis, expressive synthesis that they can use. We've often found that one of the, 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 the blocks in this is that our system is used by an, an AAC system. So something which is maybe doing eye tracking or something like that. If those systems have been quite slow to, to pick up on things like expressive synthesis and clone voices and things like this. And that's partly because as an industry, they feel a bit under pressure because consumer technology like iPads are coming out and they're going to say, well, why, why have I got this, this weird bit of technology from you when I could just get an iPad and put something on it really simple? So they, they, they're under pressure financially and they've been a bit reluctant to, to really explore how good the synthesis has become and what it can offer people, uh, which I think is a real pity. Um, but that, that will change. And the, the speech therapists, whenever I spoke to them, are always saying, we, our patients want to have expressive synthesis. They want to be able to emotionally connect with people. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just a matter of time. Mm, I completely agree. So, so who is it then within healthcare, health tech, that you would like to speak to most then? I'm just thinking of our listeners and who might who you might want to get in touch with. I mean, is it kind of innovative clinicians like, you know, the speech language therapists or the ENT surgeons? I suppose it was also the tech entrepreneurs that want to synthesize speech from text and use it in health in some way. Are there any other kind of groups that you're interested in speaking to? Yeah, so I think, I think it's important for speech therapists to... To, to communicate their patients' need to the, to, the, to the industries which they are customers of, in a way. Um, and I think they need to pressure them. I think it's important, and this is always the case with, with health professionals, to, to, to try and, and at least be aware of what new technology is offering and, and what it can offer people so that when you're faced with a patient who has difficult choices, you can potentially give them some information that they can then go and follow up on. And absolutely, I think at the moment, um, the idea of, you know, engaging with other companies and other entrepreneurs are looking at novel ways in the health system that they can look at this speech technology and see it as something, a component which might really empower what they're doing. And I'd just like to add to that, that anybody that is interested in the health economics side of this from the point of view of patients receiving speech synthesis and those not, and, and you know, seeing what's happening downstream of that to see if there is a business case around this. Yeah. Do get in touch with me or Matthew because I'm, I'm actually very interested in that myself. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on. I've 
I, I say this every week and I say that I say it every week as well, but um, I've learned an incredible amount about something that I did, hardly knew existed to be perfectly honest. And I didn't know it went so deep into all the emotive sides of it as well. And all the, all the incredible amounts of value, uh, you know, value propositions in this space, it, um, even within health, it's, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, the way that we end these podcasts is that I get you to kind of summarize a little bit about yourself, obviously about what you're doing at the company and yeah, to close us out with any asks that you've got of our audience. Yeah. So I, I mean, my main role in the company now is to look at how we roll this technology out, how we engage with people who are using the technology in a novel way. And I, and I think that, that for people working in technology, in this this difficult um, sort of zone between the human and the the industry is that that we really need to engage as much as we can with other professionals because often my assumptions about what's important or not important are really different from the realities. We recently did singing synthesis, and to me it seemed almost a bit of a sort of like uh, you know a bit of fun really, but <laughs> realised that actually for people singing is is crucial right in some sense yeah, so fair enough when you suddenly deal with someone who can't speak then being able to sing a song becomes something really really different so i would i would say that 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 we're very interested to engage with people um and i think that people in my area and people working in technology need to get out more really <laughs> <I think. laughs> and um and and have a think about you know both where that where our technology is good where it is dangerous potentially and where it's not relevant and and all of those three things are perfectly valid things to learn and if people want to get in touch with you matthew what's the best way to contact you so the best way is is to uh is to contact us uh, uh info at sarahproc.com www.sarahproc.com um, and we do respond. I know sometimes companies have these, these info pages and things like that, and they just disappear. So <laughs> we actually do look at them Amazing. Uh, as well. So it's, it's a really good way of, of, of dealing with that because um, we, we've got a very small com- uh, commercial team, but they're very good at working out who needs to speak to who. Um, Perfect. Matthew, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hey everybody and thanks for listening to this week's episode and making it all the way to the end. If you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow us on all of our socials so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.